Welcome back to another Speak Sunderland Reaction podcast. Sunderland continued their unbeaten start to the League One season yesterday with a 0-0 draw away to recently relegated Charlton Athletic. On the topic of Charlton, first up joining me tonight is Charlton supporter and Valley Pass commentator Terry. How are you doing, mate? You well? I'm very well, thanks. And everybody here? I think we're all well. Good point yesterday. Yeah, good. For the, fourth, for the fourth week in a row, I'm also joined by John and for the first time, Rory. How are you getting on, fellas? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And last but not least, also joining us tonight is one of very few people at the minute who are actually allowed into stadiums. You'll recognise his voice from the commentary on Sunderland streams, but more commonly as the commentator on BBC Newcastle. Nick Barnes joins us. Nick, you doing well? Yeah, very good. Very good, thank you. I've just mentioned it there. Obviously, you are one of few people who are allowed inside the stadiums at the minute for the Sunderland games. How, how are you finding it? Obviously, the games will be silent. There's no crowd. How is it? Um, very different. Very strange. Very surreal. Uh, it, it's been... Uh, to begin with, it was quite challenging because you're trying to adjust to commentating without the sort of energy, if you like, of the fans. And, and yeah. you know, as a commentator, and you know, you do in in many ways, although it's perhaps subconscious, but you do feed off that during a game. And mm-hmm. having nobody in the in the stadiums is is very very odd because you can't you haven't got that energy, um, especially when you know you've got something happening in a goal mouth or something's about to happen. You know, in, in that sense. So that is something we're sort of learning how to cope with, if you like, and readjusting to deal with that. But, um, you know, every week that goes by, every game that goes by, you can't lose sight of the fact that there's nobody there and it just doesn't feel right at all. It just seems a very strange dynamic. And I'm not saying the players aren't actually, I think they're giving their all. I don't think there's any lack of intensity, if you like, from from the players during the games, but the games, I think, in some senses, are, are being unduly affected at certain times when um, I think yesterday's game, Saturday's game, was a, a case in point where it's nil-nil and you, you know that one goal could probably win you the game. And I think if there'd been a crowd in the stadium, mm. the dynamic would have been so different that it would have in some way have changed the, the way the game was played or went. So games themselves, I think, are being affected by the, the, the fact that there are no, there's no fans in the stadium. So it's having, you know, so sort of in some sense, a negative impact on, on, on that, and, and possibly, arguably, the results as well. But as I say, you know, your direct answer to your question: What's it like? It is very, very odd. It's a very surreal feeling. Yeah. Do you think? I know a lot of people talk about on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that about the home advantage. Obviously, there's no fans there. You do get used to the pitch you're playing on. I know some pitches are, although it's you know it's not particularly obvious, they are different sizes. Do you think there is still some sort of home advantage? I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking about that yesterday at the Valley or Saturday at the Valley because um, the Valley is such an impressive stadium now. You know, with all the redevelopment they've done over the years, but it still has sort of a, you know it's got it's got a nice sort of a homely feel, if you like. I mean, I can imagine the Charlton players running out there feel very much like they are at home. Um, does that give them an advantage? I, I'm not sure. I don't know at the moment. With nobody in the grounds, I think where players seek an advantage at home is from supporters in the stadium. Um, and it being you know, just this, this physical object, the Stadium of Light, when they run out there, do they feel any different to running out at Oxford, running out at Charlton? I'm not sure they do when there's nobody in the grounds. I don't think at the moment um, it's necessarily giving one or other side a, a, any major or any significant advantage. Yeah. And Terry, just before we get into the game, um, obviously Charlton have made a number of signings recently, but I think the biggest one you've made obviously concerns Thomas Sangard, um, the new yeah. owner. We all know how much our clubs actually mean to us and how much of an impact football has on, you know, on, on, on our day-to-day lives. Was there ever a point prior to the takeover that you thought you might actually be losing your club? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I've, I'm old enough to remember when back in the 80s when we were an hour away from from losing it, um, and it was bad then. But you didn't have the social media or the or the or the media coverage generally uh, of the situation, so you were a little bit more divorced about it. But then, of course, we had the you know the turfing out of our ground and had the ground share and all this sort of stuff. So this time around, it knowing what was going on in the background. Um, 
yeah, it felt it felt a lot more a lot more real. And uh, now they've subsequently come out and said we were a week away uh, from from probably going into administration. And if uh, Thomas Sangard hadn't have got the deal over the line, then who knows? You know, we'd probably be in a similar situation to Wigan now for a little while in a sort of um, suspended state of animation without knowing what's going on and hoping that somebody would buy us. And who knows then, you just open up to any anybody buying you, that, uh, which is why we were in the position we were in in the first place. So, no, there was a very real possibility and I think most Charlton fans felt it. Mm-hmm. And just quickly, Nick, um, obviously on the subject takeovers, I know there's not as much of an update, but what a lot of people on Twitter surrounding Sunderland seem to think now is... You know, I think it's just short of a year that Donald put the club up for sale. And I think a lot of fans are beginning to believe that that the alleged period of exclusive I can't even say the word. The alleged period of exclusivity is somewhat of a smokescreen to try and try and take away the pressure of the owners. Do you think a sale is genuinely close to completion or do you think it could be a case of Donald trying to buy himself some time, maybe see if someone can get themselves promoted? Well, I've not heard anything in the last few weeks, but I mean just to put uh, time scale on that. I said, you know, the last time I, th- I found out anything out, the, the time scale is, is movable. It, it's, I know people like to say, oh, you said this date. In fact, you know, I didn't specifically say it would happen at the end of September. That was the hope, and it could well roll into October. Well, it has rolled into October. It could be November. I do think the sale is genuine, and I know there's been plenty of interest. Um, I mean, the biggest, the widest most high-profile interest has been William Story, of course, but um, yeah. you know, I'm led to believe that's just got it's just a non-starter. But there is plenty of other interests. There are other people um, who are genuinely interested in buying the club. Um, I still think it'll happen. I don't know when, but um, I'm not as sort of vexed as I think a lot of people are getting vexed, and understandably. I mean, you know, listening to what Terry's saying about what Charlton fans went through and what Charlton went through you know i think to a certain extent we've got to be thankful that we're not in that position because um yeah, that really is you, you know the, the, that's staring staring down the barrel isn't it basically and sunderland are not in that position far from it um so i think we've got to be grateful for that and i think sometimes there is and i and i say again you know there's an understandable reaction from fans who want this done they want stuart donald out of the club but I think, as said it often, you've just got to be patient. These things, you know, take time. They don't happen overnight. I think Terry will probably rubber stamp that with everything that's happened at Charlton. You know, you can't just flick a switch and the following day it's all all nice and it's all happened and it's all good. And you know, the, it, these things do take time. But, I mean, my understanding is that it will get sold. Uh, Stuart Donald will leave. But I think at the moment, you know, from Sunderland's perspective, the biggest concern is what's happening on the pitch. And... I just hope everybody gets behind the team at the minute and gets them out of League One this season. That you know, the the last thing they really need is all these off-the-field distractions. Yeah, and just very quickly, like we're not going into it too much, but obviously I've seen on Twitter recently, and I think a few people have said they've seen it in the papers. There is apparently an American consortium that have been rumoured to be interested in the club. Do you know anything on that? No, but I mean, the, 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 I've heard. And the interesting thing is, I've heard a number of rumours in the last few weeks, and what interested me about them is that they're all fairly positive in the sense of something's happening often is the case and we've seen it on twitter a lot of people saying it's not happening it's a smoke screen it's 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 stuart donald doing this doing that but actually the rumors when you look at them are all fairly positive people saying that this group or that group's interested or this is the group that's involved and that again i think reinforces what i believe that, that the sale will happen so I think you know we've got to you've got to take that as a positive. I, I, I've always thought I wondered if FPP or whatever they want to rename their their um, group would they become involved because they've been becoming more increasingly involved in other clubs. In fact, one of them has, has bought this a Danish club. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But um, you know until we get a, a, a solid confirmation that it's happening, it, it will all remain rumour. But I'll, I'll repeat what I said about rumours. They all do seem to be of um, a positive ilk. So I think we've got to take some, sort of be sort of pleased about that as well. Yeah. We will move into the game yesterday, on Saturday, um, starting by looking at the chart side, the start of the team, start of the game, sorry. Amos was in goal. I'm going to pronounce half of these names wrong. 
I don't know if you can help us with these, Nick. Osh, no, Osh, I was thinking it's Ben Amos, but Terry will probably yeah, tell me I'm yeah. wrong. Ben Amos and Gold. Oshilaja is the next one you're thinking of, I think. Yeah, Oshilaja. Yeah. Uh, well, I was saying Famuwa. Is that right, Terry? Famuwa. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't pronounce the e, so it tends to be pronounced Famuwa. Right. Uh, Watson made up back five for midfield four of Alfie Doughty, Dylan Everett, Erhan Ostuma, and James Finnans, with Connor Washington up top, formerly of QPR, I believe. Um, it's like I say, certainly a diverse team in terms of the surnames. Terry, looking at the team that started the game, was there any inclusions or exclusions, I think is the word, that you were perhaps surprised about? I know very- personally looking at the team, I was quite surprised and you know I was quite pleased that Williams wasn't starting. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Johnny Williams is, um, is a strange one for us. And, and, and in, in, in as much as that when he plays for Wales, uh, he's a different player. Um, and the, I think the main reason for that at the moment is, and he was much better for us last year, but couldn't get fit enough, was is that we haven't got the luxury of, uh, of strong players around him. Uh, and when you've got someone like Johnny Williams, who sort of attracts fouls. You need, need a bit of protection in midfield. Uh, and yesterday, I mean, we don't have the luxury at the moment, at least, of uh, of, of exclusions that uh, that we can afford to because we haven't got that big a squad. Um, yeah. I mean, to, to put it in perspective, um, and I, I don't mean this to sound, oh, look at us, how 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 uh, how horrible it is. But you know, we had a young centre half that we got on loan from Norwich, who's he's only played a handful of, of senior games, alongside a, a defensive centre midfield player who's 35, who's drafted yeah. in there because our only other centre half is is injured. Then in midfield, we've got three kids. Um, I think two of them are teenagers and one has just turned 20. They've probably got um, 10 games, senior games between them. Uh, and and another 35-year-old next to them who, who hadn't played football for four months. So, you know, it's a bit... We, we didn't really have the luxury of choice yesterday um, or for the, or all season, to be fair. So, from our point of view, um, with this, the lineup, um, obviously the disappointment was losing Macaulay Bond the day before. Yeah. It wasn't ideal. But he didn't want to play for us. He, he got the uh, apparently got the touch from QPR um, at the beginning of the transfer window, and that was it. Really, he didn't really want to play for us. So, so in that respect, apologies for that. Um, it, um, it it wasn't really a, a side we'd like to have started, uh, perhaps with Marcus Madison. But again, he hasn't played football for for a long time, so um, we, we didn't have that luxury. Yeah. Now, Sunderland lined up like this: in goal was Lee Burge, a back five of Luke O'Neill, Bailey Wright, Tom Flanagan. Jordan Willis and Denver Hume. Josh Scowen, or Scowen, however you want to pronounce it, and Grant Ledbetter retained their place in the team. Um, obviously, Max Power returned to the squad from injury. Lyndon Gooch played just behind Danny Graham and Aidan O'Brien. Chris Maguire picked up a knock against Peter Bresser. He missed out. Dobson was suspended, although I think he'll be back in time for Swindon. Yeah. I think that was the last, yeah. last game that he was suspended for. Um, Rory, at the time the team was announced, um, was there any decisions that you were surprised about or anything or anyone that you weren't particularly keen on starting? Well, I was quite surprised that um, Max Power didn't start. I know he'd been injured, but like uh, Scowen against Peterborough, he, he didn't play like he had in the cup games. Mm. And Power obviously is, you can tell he's Parkinson's, he is a Parkinson's favourite player in the squad. But... That was what I was surprised with. And then Maguire not making a squad, that was quite... I, I seen that come in because in the press conference he hinted that he wasn't training. So I expected that to happen. But I was quite happy with the squad overall because it's, it's been doing well, clean sheet. And there's only been one goal and it wasn't even from open play. So I was quite happy with the lineup. Yeah. And John, we, we've spoke about this before, but um, obviously Danny Graham came back into the team today. Um, Aidan O'Brien as well. Greg eventually came on as a sub. Same with Wyke. Do you agree with the, you know, the constant changing of our attack, or do you think it's time to, you know, kind of settle on one or two players and give them a run of games to try and gain some confidence? Yeah, I think they they have to get a run of games, don't they? Um, I think Greg was unlucky um, not to start after he had the two goals chalked off. Probably unlucky on one of them to. Um, to not have that one, um, you play him again and he scores. Then he's a, he's a totally different player. Um, yeah. Graham, I didn't, I don't mind. Um, I'm not sure about O'Brien. I probably would have gone with Graham and Grigg yesterday. Um, but yeah, I think you have to give a striker. You have to give him at least five games just to see. And if he's not, if he's not getting the chances, 
then there's obviously a problem. But we are we are starting to create now. So surely one of these guys has got like Graham yesterday, probably should have scored twice. Um, yeah. I know Brian probably should have had one as well. So the chances are coming. Maybe Grig probably scores the one that Graham misses the open, sort of like the open one, and then it's a different game. Yeah, Nick. Obviously, a lot's been made recently about about well potentially how lacking we are in terms of creativity. But yesterday, I, I don't think that was necessarily the case. I mean, I know Graham had four or five chances in the game, two clear chances, I'd say, and obviously didn't hit the net with any of them. Um, I don't think any of our strikers have actually scored a goal in the league this season. I know a lot of people on Twitter have saying that we need to actively try and sign an out-and-out goal scorer. Would you agree with that? Or is it like a case, I've just said to John there, a case of persisting with what we actually have? Well, I think I think it, that they will persist with what they've got. But I agree about the um, you know this policy of this rotation, if you like, of the front players. I don't I don't think it's working. And I agree that I think Grig was unlucky not to get the nod in the second game of the season at Oxford. I didn't didn't think he did much wrong in that opening game against Bristol Rovers. I mean, that was an, sort of bit of a, an enigma of a game with that early penalty and the way that Bristol Rovers then set up. I mean, on any other day, Sunderland probably would have won it quite comfortably because they are, you know, you just mentioned creating chances. I don't think there's been a game where they haven't created chances. But the problem is Wyke, Graham, Grigg, O'Brien, they're not they're not taking them, which is why I think, you know, you, I think if you decide that you're going to play Grigg or, or Graham, you give them four or five games and see whether they do start to grow in confidence, do start taking those chances. I, I don't mind O'Brien and the team. I think he's got a... He's a hard worker. He's certainly busy around the penalty area. He's prepared to look for the ball. He's, you know, he's, he's, he is a bit of a handful for defenders. I don't think he's necessarily an out-and-out goal scorer. When I spoke to him at Gateshead in pre-season, he said, you know, he tend to be sort of one in three was his ratio around that sort of um, area. So he's not an out-and-out goal scorer. He will come up with, I'm told by Millwall fans, you know, every season he'll score an absolute worldie. But... Uh, the, the main thing, the main sort of attribute he brings to the game is this sort of work ethic he's got. So I like that around the penalty area because I think they're playing with a bit more of a higher press this season with Max Power or Josh Scoen. He likes to be called Scoen, apparently. Um, pushing forward since, you know, trying to get in and around the penalty area. And, and so often this season, it's been the final ball. I think yesterday's game was a classic example. Some of the approach work was fantastic. But the final ball then was where Sunderland let themselves down. And yeah. a couple of occasions, like you mentioned, Danny Graham missing, blazing that one over the bar from four yards. But um, do you do you panic? I, I think at the moment, the position they're in, no, you're in a good position in the table. You're, you're, you're unbeaten. You've only conceded one goal from a penalty. So the foundation's there. The, 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 what they've got to hope for now is that one of those players steps up to the plate and does start scoring goals. Yeah. Obviously, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but in our first season in this league, obviously, we had Josh Madger. Um, you know, I think if we'd kept him in that season, we'd have been promoted. Things have changed since then. We've got a new manager. The playing squad's changed. We have a new, you know, a new style of play. Do you think someone like Madger would score goals in his current system? I think Madger was a natural goal scorer. I don't think you know the system worried him. You know, he would he would sniff out chances in the penalty area. I think you know he, you you saw the way he used to play. He could spin on a sixpence from 18 yards, and the next thing you knew, the ball was in the back of the net. You know that he was instinctive. Um, you're absolutely right. I think he would have they would have been promoted if he'd stayed that season. That was so badly handled. I mean, I don't know why it was never agreed that he could get a loan back for the you know the six five six months of the second half of the season. So they, they kept him um, before he moved on. But, you know, as you say, hindsight's the perfect art. But yes, they, you know, if they had a Madger, they would be, I think, in a much, much stronger position because of the way that they um, are setting the team up now and the fact that, you know, the, the defence is, is creating such a foundation for them, such a platform for them to go and do that. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at the strikers that we do actually have on our books currently, um, Grig has just over 100 League One goals in 300 games. Danny Graham has 51 in 150, and White with 33 in 136. So when you look at the strikers that we've got, Moslem, St. Reboster, you know, a one in three, a one in three record. So I don't know personally if it's a case of the strikers that we have 
not having the ability because you know it's great to say that it's not working at Sunderland but it's worked from everywhere else um, John, what, what what do you think it comes down to with them? Do you think it's confidence, pressure? Like, how, how have we managed to completely extinguish the fire of Will Grigg? Oh, it's a tough one, that. Um, it is a tough one. Um, I th- see, I think Grigg playing yesterday, I think it just comes down to consistency. I think because we are... We, we have struggled at times to create, and our strikers are probably, you know, need three or four chances. We've been blessed years gone by where we've had you know, the likes of uh, Defoe, who would probably just get one chance and then have the quality to finish, even Madger, when we had him. Um, whereas these guys, for some reason, they need we need to be creating three or four chances each for them. Um, but then, obviously, yesterday, Danny Graham had um, those chances and didn't score. And I don't know, maybe I'll just put that down to that you just need a consistent run just to say you're the man. You know, a bit like we've done with, um, maybe a little bit different, like we've done with Bird, you're number one. Do you know what I mean? Like, give them that bit of confidence and you know you're playing, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I'd credit, um, I'd credit yes, on, on Saturday at Charlton, I would credit Charlton with some last-ditch defending as well. I mean, to, to their credit, yeah, yeah. they did throw everything at stopping Sunderland scoring. When I mean, there was one, that one move, wasn't there, where... Uh, there were three attempts at goal, and there was blocks, and the keeper made a save, and yeah, a defender yeah. threw himself at it. I mean, they, they, you know, they've had a, a sort of their share of bad luck in that sense. But you know, I think that's where the difference between a Madger and a Graham, or a Madger and a White, comes in. You know, Madger was young, hungry, and instinctive. Um, at the moment, you've got older, probably still hungry, but they're, they're just it's just it's just not working for them at the moment. Yeah. Um, Charlton got the game underway and, you know, I think it's fair to say pretty much from the first minute they were happy to kind of sit back and let us play in front of them. Um, You know, we definitely looked more likely to get the goal and as I've touched on earlier, Danny Graham had a couple of chances to probably kill the game completely in the first 15 minutes. Um, Like Nicky, you've just said there, he had one early effort blocked on the line, keeper made a save, Scowen put a good ball in the box, Graham didn't gamble, when the high and crossed one in, you know, it kept going, that was the theme throughout the first half. And again, I'll touch on Will Grigg. Rory, you know, given how many balls went into the box yesterday, if Grigg had started the game, do you think it could have went differently? Do you think we could have won that game? Well, honestly, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Will Grigg because he had a big, he had a good run last season and he really didn't impress. Like, he had a lot of chances last season. I remember, I can't remember who it was against. He was one-on-one with a keeper and he put it wide. But, honestly, it's a hard one because I feel like... Whoever is striker, they need a run of games. And you can say Will Grigg would score, but he's missed chances like that on just as worse. I just feel like we have to have a confidence in a striker and just stick with him. Yeah. I think one of the chances, I think it was against Blackburn at home. I think it was one of his first games, Grigg. Nick, I'm sure you'll be able to correct me on this, but, you know, he was still on goal, took the ball down the keeper, and I think it was pretty much an open goal he missed. Was that, was that at home against Blackpool? Um, you could well be right. I'm trying to think back because there were so many games where you just thought he was it Bristol Rovers he had a couple of chances at Bristol Rovers and you're thinking he's got to score and and missed uh, and and you know I you know you look back now and we know he was in a bad place he didn't want to be here he'd um, you know was was travelling up from his home in the Midlands it, 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 nothing was really being sort of sorted for him in 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 his head and in and his sort of personal life and and everything about that move was just you know, wrong, if you like. But I think this season, I mean, what's frustrating is that he's looked sharper, fitter, leaner in pre-season. I think he felt he, he he felt he was in a better place. But then I think it might have been, I think he probably felt it quite hard that he was dropped after the Bristol Rovers game and he's not really had much of a look in since. Um, but, you know, it, it's early days. I think, you know, we are, it is a concern. I think there's no question about that. Um, and, it, and I think they've got to start thinking in this next week, do they go all out to try and get someone else in or do they hold their nerve and say that one of these will actually come good? Yeah, we did go into halftime at 0-0. Um, Terry, from a, from a Charlton point of view, you must have been somewhat pleased to go into the break having not conceded, yeah, especially probably, the way the first half had gone. Um, the we, of the century, that one. 
<laughs> were you beginning to set off a point or you know did you still believe that you could go on and you know really push for a winner in the last stages Do you know funnily enough um i think if you'd have asked me the question before kickoff i'd have uh, i'd have bitten your arm off for a point mm-hmm. 10 minutes into the game i thought actually you know because i thought we played quite well first 10 minutes without without threatening you at all by the way i mean I think, yeah. uh, we were quite comfortable in possession but i don't think you really uh, got behind us at all in the first sort of 10 minutes quarter of an hour but then and you, you mentioned on it just now, Danny Graham had a couple of efforts, one that, uh, that Amos turned around. And something changed from the from the sideline. We um, we went from, it, it was a back three with, with wing-backs, that's how we started. And mm. he changed it, went more to the diamond formation uh, after about a quarter of an hour. And it gave you entire, the entire, basically gave you the freedom of the valley, pretty much, because yeah. um, we, uh, although we, we put two up top, we just couldn't service them because we were overrunning midfield because the three... You know, three young ones couldn't really get to grips with, especially I thought. I mean, I know you've probably criticised him a little bit, but I thought Scowen was probably your better, you know, one of your better players because most of the good stuff you did came through him. I thought. Yeah. Um, and then you overrun us, really. You just really overrun us, and I, I'll, I'll watch that Danny Graham effort from here to eternity and still not understand how he didn't score. You know, um, so yeah, I was delighted <laughs> and thought, he, you know, thought we had to change it at half time, uh, and he yeah. did a little bit, brought um, Williams on, but. Even then, well, he went to a flat back four as well, didn't he? Four. Well, he did that just before half time, and Nick, that's that's pretty much what I was getting at. I think he did that too early for me. Um, look, I'm, I'm Poe is a god and an absolute genius, and I'm never going to criticise. Um, I know what he tried to do because we were creating nothing up top. We only had um, Washington on his own. Um, we were trying to get put in balls behind you, and it wasn't working. So um, you could see why he changed it. But the personnel we've got, it just didn't work, I don't think. And, and it, we relied on Amos, of course. Couple of great saves. One in particular was outstanding. Um, and, yeah. and as you mentioned earlier on, throwing bodies in the way of, of you know stopping everything. And that's one thing you'll get with the Bowyer side. You know, you'll get them throwing themselves in front of everything because if they don't, they'll probably end up with. Well, uh, I just think the great irony of the game was that had Tom Flanagan not committed that foul, Washington would have scored, and yes. I think Charlton would have won the game one nil, despite really being outplayed for 75 minutes of the game. I mean, that 15 minutes where they were playing against 10 men, yes, inevitably it, it swung it. Uh, you know, all that said, that said, Sunderland still did get a couple of chances themselves and could have could have snatched it. But it's a, it was a really weird one because you, you, you come away from the Valley thinking, how did Sunderland not win that game? But at the same time, they could have easily lost it because Washington was through, would probably have been the clearest chance of the game and Washington can finish and so I'd have put my mortgage on him on him doing so uh, so you're absolutely right and, that, and what, what tended to happen especially when you went down to 10 men we, we tried we brought Chuck Sonique on and then whereas when we didn't have a target man we didn't obviously we didn't use it and we were trying to play through as soon as Chuck came on we, we overused the, the, the ball up to him and, and while he had a couple of half decent efforts generally we, we didn't play to, to a strength to try and get round him which you know we've got somebody like Alfie Doherty who's got pace to burn and skill, and Johnny Williams, who's got uh, skill in abundance. We did. We stopped trying to play football, and uh, and ultimately that's probably why we didn't nick it. Um, but it would have been a travesty had we done so. I think, <laughs> I think um, uh, you know, I mean, you won't find too many Charlton fans, if any, turning around and saying, uh, you know, a point. We deserve the point because, yeah. well, you deserve a point if you battle and you and you don't lose. So I guess that's true. But well, yeah, it, it's, it's, I had this conversation last night on the train home. It swings around abouts because Sunderland beat Peterborough one 0 Peterborough will be going home, would have gone home from that game, wondering how they didn't get anything from that game. That's that's football, isn't it? This, that, these things happen over a season. We had the same thing with Lincoln. Um, lost 2-0, um, pretty much annihilated them for 60 minutes, but there we are. Um, the second half obviously came round, and Nick, you've just touched on it there. Um, 73rd minute. Up until then, neither side really looked like doing too much, especially in the second half. However, Amos, I think it was, played a long ball over the topless under defence. Um, I think Willis was caught a little bit higher than he should have been, but you know it's, it's hard to really say when you're not watching it in real time. <laughs> but Washington was still on goal, and Flanagan was deemed to have fouled him. John, obviously, last man fouls always tend to be followed with a red card. I've, I, I only saw it on the stream. I haven't watched it back. I was pretty confident it would be a red card, but for you, was it a send enough? Do you think there was enough contact? Yeah, as soon as the contact was made, and I mean, I, to my mind, I, I, seeing it in real time, 
Washington was through. I, I, it was to me, it was Washington against Burge, and I put my money on Washington to have scored in that situation. I think Flanagan knew it. Um, I had no. I was the, the the card was interesting because we knew he was going to go for a card, and we were certain it was going to be a red. But when he pulled the card out of his pocket, it was held at an angle to us, so it was side on, and we couldn't quite see the colour of it. So there, for, there was for a second or two this in your mind thinking, what colour is that? You're certain in your head it should be a red, but you couldn't see it to clarify that it was. But I had no no qualms about that being a red card. And in fairness, Phil Parkinson, when he was asked about it afterwards, there'll be no appeal because in his eyes that was a clear cut, um, you know, professional foul, as they call it. Um, so you get a one-match ban, not three. But, um, yeah, he, he to, to my mind, again, going back to what I said earlier, Tom Flanagan basically saved Sunderland um, two points yeah. because I, I think Charlton would have scored. It's funny, you talk about the card. We were, we were on commentary and, and exactly the same sort of thing. The, we saw the referee brandish the card. Now, the angle that I'm at, um, which is pretty much on a halfway line, um, the, the two men that were jumping, I think you mentioned Willis and I think it was Anike, got the flick on. Um, Flanagan and uh, Washington were pretty much crossing where they were landing. So I didn't actually mm -hmm. see the contact. It was almost impossible. So I saw Washington go down, but then thought, assumed that was for. But so when the referee put the card up, he put it up almost sideways. Yeah. So you couldn't tell what colour it was. Yeah. I'm um, glad that we weren't the only ones then, because so, it was so, definitely, you know, because we were just sitting down from you and, and the angle, the, the, he was holding it sort of at an angle, which in the light as well, you couldn't for certainty say what colour it was. Well, a combination of not actually seeing the contact and not knowing what colour the card was, we so we were saying, well, we think it might, is, is it a yellow? And was it, uh, is he the last man? Is it definite contact? Of course, we got annihilated on Twitter because they're listening to that and they've got the camera at a different angle from the other <laughs> side looking at it and calling us absolute, uh, all the names under the sun, nailed on red card, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it will be overturned. I'm, you know, I'm 100% confident, in fact, it won't be overturned, but so... Well, they're not, they're, they're not going to appeal it. They won't appeal it. No. So obviously Flanagan and Feeney, who I think he's out for four months now with an injury. Um, mm. Obviously, they'll both miss the game against Swindon. And I'd be surprised if it wasn't Jamali who replaced him. A change which I think personally should have been made a few weeks ago anyway. Given how much Parkinson seems to favour Flanagan, John, what, what do you think Jamali needs to do to really stake a claim for his place in the side? Um, I think as long as he forms a a solid uh, back three with the other two. Um, I was one of the ones who did say a few weeks ago I didn't want Flanagan in there, and I was happy for Jamali. But to be to be fair, Flanagan's been quite quite steady, and he's made up. You know, he's not the best footballer, um, but he does actually form a part of a solid defensive unit, which, in fairness, is is keeping clean sheets, which is a good basis for um the season. Um, but if if Jamali does come in um, and do well, he's going to give Parkinson. Um, a bit of a headache because uh, obviously Parkinson does like Flanagan, but you'd expect Flanagan to come back in. Um, but as we saw yesterday, um, he wasn't so quick to bring his his, uh, his captain back in. Yeah. And Nick, I'm going to ask you just because I know you probably have to say his name quite a lot. How 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 do you actually pronounce his name? Sorry, how did I? How do you pronounce his name? Is it Jamali? Oh, it's Jamadli. 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 All right. Jamadli. Okay. I think a lot of people have kind of settled to call him Arb, you know. I, I think, think yeah, Benno would go down that. He he would happily call him <laughs> Harvey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Jim Adgley. It's Jim Adgley. Um From there on, obviously the red card happened. Charlton saw probably most of the ball, but I don't think really had so many chances. Marcus Madison came on in the last few minutes for his debut for the club. Um, a player we spoke about before, obviously wanting Sunderland to sign him. Terry, how, how pleased were you to get someone of his ability in your squad? Do you think he's someone you're missing in terms of what he brings? I think, the, yeah, well, Madison, strangely, we've been pursuing Madison since since January, officially. Um, mm -hmm. Although the last time we pursued him, we didn't actually have any money, so we're not quite sure how that turned out. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, he's, he's got talent. He's got a bit of a reputation, but he's got talent. Without question, he's got talent. And you'd hope if anybody can handle the reputation and the, and the, the, the personality, then it'll be Bowyer. And so, um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, he's, he's a quality League One player, probably should be a championship player. And, and I guess it's only his, his reputation that stops him being being that. So, um, yeah, excited, but also a little bit nervous that, uh, you know, to which one we'll end up getting. 
if we get the yeah. player that uh, that can um, can hit those left foot crosses, can um, can score goals like he does, and even yesterday when he you know defended that near the end of, of the game where he uh, his clearing header probably stopped you scoring. If we get that type of player, then uh, we'll be delighted. Yeah, and I, Nick, I, I put something on Twitter the other day, um, and I got a lot of messages about it because I claimed he was a target for Sunderland. I did say reported target. I didn't say official. Do you know if there was any kind of substance to Sunderland's chase for Madison? As far as I know, they've never been in, never, never been in for Madison. I mean, Terry's got it in a nutshell. His reputation, as far as both Phil Parkinson and Jack Ross were concerned, he's not a player they wanted in that dressing room. I mean, Darren McAntony at Peterborough was fairly outspoken about the problems they had with Madison. And if you actually dissect Madison's form and his move in the latter part of last season before we went to lockdown, he went to Hull and it, it just didn't happen for him there. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I sort of sympathise with Terry, wondering what player you're Charlton are going to get with Madison. On his day, he's unplayable. Other days, he's you, you might as well not have him in the squad. Um, and then there's the, the problems they've had with, you know, Madison in the dressing room. That's not something that um, they wanted at Sunderland. It's not something that fitted in with the profile of the players they've been trying to bring to the club. And on top of that, um, I suspect that the, the wages, the salary that Madison's on, even at Charlton, is probably more than Sunderland at the moment are anywhere near able to, to pay, especially with the, the concerns they're now having with the, the salary cap. Yeah. Um, the game did finish nil-nil. Um, obviously, I said right at the start of the podcast, Sunderland remain unbeaten. We've picked up seven points from a possible nine against three sides that will probably make up half of the top six. Um, obviously, Oxford, Peterborough and most recently Charlton. Three clean sheets from four games. One goal conceded so far with a been from a penalty. Rory, you know, if we were to rewind four weeks and someone said at this stage we'd be unbeaten, would have conceded once, would have beaten two of the, well, competed with three of the promotion rivals. I think you'd have slapped the hand off. How how pleased have you been with our start of the season, at least results-wise? Well, results-wise on paper, it looks, the points look excellent. Who we've played, it is a good return. It's just frustrating. Like some points yesterday, you look like, oh, this game is ours, and you've dropped two points. But from the start of the season, you would you would like you said you would have snatched the hand off, but just. Yesterday's performance and Bristol's performances, they weren't bad performances, just frustrating. We can't get the ball in the back of the net enough. Yeah. I just want to apologise. I don't know if you can hear the rain in the background. It's absolutely national mm-hmm. ground. Um, Nick, we had Gary on last week, obviously. Um, and although listening back to it, you probably wouldn't have been able to hear him. But one thing we touched on was something that he actually said after the Peterborough game, which I think it was actually on comedy with you at the time which was something along the lines of, we won't get promoted playing like that. When you look at the performances so far this season, would you agree with that? What, what do you think we're missing in the squad? No, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. I think, you know, the results themselves are showing that, you, I think, come the end of the season, if you were looking back and you're not going to remember a lot of the games necessarily, you're not going to sort of, you, do we want fantasy football? Of course we do, but we're not going to get it at this level. And, you know, we've got to be it's much more... Um, Bain and sort of workman like now, and I think the the, the way that they're playing, I, I you know I look back at each game and thought, well, actually, it's been spells in the games, and yesterday was a good example, Saturday was a good example, where uh, some of the football was great. There was some really nice attacking moves, there was some really nice passing. Uh, they get, they got in behind, and it's just the final ball, the final touch has let them down. Um, you know, you can get a feeling that one one evening, you know, they they may well get it right and they'll put four or five past someone. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any cause at the moment to overreact to things. Yes, there are issues. Uh, the biggest issue being the one we've been predominantly talking about here, and that is goal scoring. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, they're keeping clean sheets. Terry touched on Josh Scohan and his performance against Charlton, which was very, very good. Grant Ledbert is playing some really good football at the moment. Um, O'Neill, well, he's you know he's nailed on to play every game because of the influence he's having in games. Denver Hume's improving and just find that final ball. Most of it's fine. It's just if if you could 
if you can nail that goal scoring issue, um, I have no problems with the team being in a position to go up. Yeah. Um, the real move into the player ratings for the game, and obviously the place to start will be Lee Burge. Um, in the match report, I think I gave him a six out of ten. You know, I can't remember him having to make a save. I think he had one clearance where he seemed to slice it, and I've got to say at the time, mm. I did actually think it had gone in. Luckily, it didn't. Well, if it had been in front of goal, it would have gone in. <laughs> I, I remember seeing it at the time, and you know, I think I've I, I tend to watch the games through the stream. It wasn't the greatest picture at the time. I think it had gone a little bit fuzzy. So I can I remember seeing the ball go past the net, but at the time it looked like it had gone into the net, and it wasn't a good feeling. But yes, John, Bird, Hugh, Lee Bird Bird a bit fuzzy then as well. John Lee Burge for you yesterday? Uh, yeah, six. Fairly run of the mill bar in the one one you uh, you just spoke about. Um, but to be fair, again, defensive really well to protect him. So, yeah, yeah I'll just go with a six. Rory? Uh, yeah, just a six again. He didn't make any clear mistakes. And Nick? Yeah, six for me. Yeah. Um, Luke O'Neill started on the right as the wing back. Um I think I had him down as a 7 out of 10. You know, he created one of the best chances of the games and I think he defended quite well throughout, John. Luke 9 for you? Uh, yeah, between a six, 6 and a 7, I'd say. It was a few times his crossing did let him down. Um, but yeah, overall, he was, he was pretty solid. Yeah, Rory? I thought he was one of the better players on the pitch for us. Uh, yeah, I'd say 7. And Nick, yourself? Yeah, 7 for me, again. Um, on the right of the back three was Jordan Willis, who I've given eight out of ten. Um, I think part of that is just I just think I like him as a player. You know, I've never seen him get forward as much as he actually did yesterday. You know, like I, like we said earlier, I think he was possibly at fault marginally for the Flanagan red card. He might have been, you know, a little bit too high up, but you know, he looked solid defensively throughout the game. And you know, I think. The link of play between him and O'Nine on the right hand side is improving with each game, and I think that's something that will help us going forward this season. So, an eight out of ten for me, John, yourself. Uh, I went with a seven um, again, like you say, it was decent. Um, it was a great saving header as well, late on, diving header across the box. Um, but I still think him and Bailey Wright um, were at fault for the Flanagan red card. Yeah, Rory. Yeah, I'd go with a six or seven because. I do think he wasn't as good as his usual self. So, yeah, six or seven. Nick, John Willis? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a seven again. I don't, I don't think it was his best or worst game. I think in, I'm thinking in terms of the team overall, contribution for the whole game and the result, um, seven for me. And I'll, I'll explain why in a moment as well in terms of the back three. Um, but, yeah, seven for me. Yeah. In the centre of the back three was Bailey Wright and... You know, I'm not sure what the stats are now, but I think it's something like we've kept seven or eight clean sheets in the 10 games he's played. You know, I think he's, him and Chris Maguire, obviously he didn't play yesterday, but him and Chris Maguire were probably two of our most important players. I think I gave him a seven yesterday. Um, elite, like he's, he's the leader of the back three, really. He didn't have awfully much to do, but, you know, the bits that he did do, he did well. John? Uh, yeah, seven. I think he was pretty steady. But again... If he wins that header, David Flanagan has to be sent off then. That's probably just what gives him a slight low one on the rating. Yeah, I think there is a few times, I'm not sure if I'm putting this the right way, but he is a little bit eager to get the ball first. Um, I know there's a few times he definitely goes through the striker. But maybe that has something to play with the red card, I'm not sure. But Rory, Bailey, right for you? Uh, yeah, seven. I thought his chance, yeah, I think it was in the first half with that header, was a good chance, so yeah, I give him a seven. And Nick? Uh, well, I'm going for an eight for Bailey. I I thought he uh, he commands the area. He he he's a talker. He was unlucky not to score. Um, I just think he's solid. I thought he was solid against Charlton. I just felt that he just had a touch above the others um, in his overall game. So I, I I gave him an eight. Um, on the left was Flanagan, and. Up until the red card, I think I had him as a six. After the red card, I dropped him down to a five. John, you know more than anyone that just I just I don't know why I just don't like Flanagan as a player. You know, defensively, I think he is capable at this level, but with the system we play, 
I think his passing needs to improve. And, you know, there was times yesterday, there was times against Oxford, every game he plays, he'll either over-hit a pass or under-hit a pass. He never seems to get it quite right. But yeah, five out of ten for me. Red card has a little bit to play at the last. But for you, John? Uh, yeah, probably a five with with the red. I don't think he did too bad. Obviously, we know he's probably not. I don't want to say weaker, but he's one of the limited defenders. And obviously, we know his distribution isn't great. But I thought yesterday it was okay up until his red. Yeah, Rory. Yeah, I thought he was okay until the red. So I'd score with yous again and say yeah to five. And Nick. Uh, well, I would have gone a seven if he hadn't been sent off, but the sending off clearly just changed things. I dropped him down to a six. On the left was Denver Hume, left wing back that is. Um, I've given him a six. He wasn't as active in the game as he has been recently. And, you know, against Peterborough, I thought his crossing was much improved. I don't think it was as good yesterday. So six out of ten for me, John. Yeah, probably a six. Um, there was a couple of times he was one-on-one with their defender and he decided to turn back, which frustrated me quite a bit because I think pace-wise he probably would have would have got into some decent areas. But he created the chance for Wyke, which Wyke was caught on his feet a little bit. Um, so I'll probably just go for six. Yeah, Rory? Well, yesterday I thought Hume wasn't the prominent figure he usually is because I, I thought Peterborough was outstanding. So mm, probably uh, six. Yeah, Nick? Uh, just creep it up to seven. I thought overall, yes, he was quieter than he's been in recent games, but there were a couple of instances where he, he did get into the Charlton penalty area. He did pull some good balls back, um, predominantly, the, you know, the, and to chase that one down, which caught White by surprise, I thought that was, you know, that was pretty good. And I think overall, he didn't let anybody down. And I think judging by the result as well, the clean sheet, I'd, I'd give him a seven. Yeah. And Nick, just quickly before we move on to the next one, um, I think... Sunderland seem to be looking for another left back in the market as well. Yeah, personally, definitely. Sorry, personally, do you think they need to sign an upgrade on Hume, or do they need to sign someone to compete with Hume to, you know, kind of improve his game? Well, I, I, the latter, I think, to someone to compete with him and improve his game because I think he has improved um, a lot since last season. I was talking to Phil Parkinson about him last week. I think he's much more aggressive this season than he was last, um, which which he needed to be. He's attacking. He attacks the ball more. He's heading the ball more, which was something he was reluctant to do. He does get into some incredibly good positions down that left side of the penalty area. So I think it's 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 someone, and I think the club look at it as you know the the shirt is his at the minute. Whoever comes in has got to compete with Denver Hume for it. But I think they do definitely need someone else in that position as cover. Yeah, moving into midfield, um, Grant Ledbet started again. Um, I've given an eight. His passing was, I think it was pinpoint. I think that's the best way to pronounce it. Ball retention was impressive. His interceptions were impressive, especially in the first half. And I think he's really starting to show his experience this season after what's been a difficult time from both on and off the pitch. John, 8 out of 10 for me, what would you say? Yeah, I would agree. It was absolutely superb for me yesterday. Rory? Yeah, I wouldn't go 8, but I did think it was good yesterday. So, 7. Nick? Yeah, echo everything you said there. I'll give him an eight. Um, Scowan obviously started alongside Grant. Um, with power back fit, I think Scowan had to show you something yesterday to keep his place in the side. And personally, I think he did. Um, I've given him a seven. You know, he seems to have a bit of pace about him as well. And all of the few times he found himself on the right wing, he put a number of good crosses into the box for Graham. Obviously, one of them Graham didn't get on the end of. He didn't gamble. One of them led to the best chance of the game where Graham's blazed it over the bar. But for me, I've given him a 7 out of 10, John. Yeah, I'll probably go along for 7. Um, he did float in and out of the game a little bit. I forgot he was playing at, at some points, but when he did get on the ball, yeah, he was decent. Do you think personally he did enough yesterday? To, obviously, Mac Powell's captain. Do you think he personally did enough yesterday to keep Powell out of the team? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if he replaces Power because... I'm sure Sc- uh, Scowan's more competing for Maguire. I think if Maguire's fit, I think the more slot in that way, I think, personally. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Maguire comes back. Because obviously, I think it was Gooch played in that position yesterday. Seemed to be behind the two strikers. So, I think that would be an interesting one to look out for at Swindon. Um, Rory, Josh Scowan for you. Josh Scowan, sorry. Nick, I know you told me that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one for me because I, I don't personally... 
I don't think he brings as much to the game as Max Power does. But he did create that good chance for Graham. So for me, probably a six. Yeah, Nick? Um, I, I think he's a bit of an unsung hero. I, I've given him an eight. Um, I thought he was doing what his nickname uh, suggests, rat, the rat. I thought he did a lot of ratting against Charlton. There were a lot of times he, he got in quick on players, tackles and scurried to get back on the ball block. I think he did a lot of work that probably doesn't get rewarded or noticed. And I think he, he brought that to the game. And I thought, you know, he deserved to be in the team uh, on the back of the Peterborough game. And I'd be very surprised if he's not in the team against Swindon on the back of the game against Charlton. Yeah. And Terry, not to catch you off guard again, but obviously you briefly mentioned earlier that Josh Scowen impressed you as a as a Charlton fan looking at the Sunderland team. What, you know, as a Charlton fan looking at Scowen, I keep saying Scowen, I know it's Scowen, I'm going to keep <laughs> saying Scowen, it's in my head. Um, as a Charlton fan looking at Scowen, what, what did you think he brought to the game? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Nick because I thought most of the time, especially when we opened up the midfield, um, sort of quarter an hour into the game, because prior to that, I think he'd been sort of taken up with marking Doughty on our left-hand side. Yeah. Uh, and then Venning's in there as well. So once that was released a little bit um, and uh, Doughty went up top, he gave him a little bit more freedom in that midfield. And I thought that allowed him to go forward, which he hadn't really been doing up to that point. So I think um, once that happened, I thought, well, you're right, he just broke up the play that we were trying to do down that left-hand side. He was up against a, a kid in Venning's who uh, didn't really know how to play him. And uh, whether that's the case, whether you put him against somebody more experienced, maybe he doesn't have the same effect. So you know better than me because you watch him game by game. I only, I only saw him yesterday. So yeah, yeah. for me, yesterday, I thought he was he was at the base, if not directly of creating, but certainly at the, at the base of everything you, you started. Well, not everything, but a fair, fair amount. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, simply the best chance of the game came from his cross into the box. Yeah. So, um, for me, he was he was one of the more influential ones for you yesterday. Yeah. Um, Lyndon Gooch was up next, and I, I think I gave him a five. You know, I should. I just don't think he did too much in the game again. I think he has more this season, at least. He looks to be a player that would have more of an impact coming off the bench. You know, kind of like what more he used to have in the Championship and the Premier League. Um, you know, he isn't looking like the same player that we have been used to over the last few seasons. And for me, Maguire comes straight back into the team when he's fifth. John, for you. Uh, yeah, between between the five and the six, I just think we're playing him a little bit too deep. I think we need him a lot further up the pitch, yeah. um, as he proved when he scored um, the other week. Yeah, Rory. I have to go with you five because sometimes in the in that game you couldn't tell he was on the pitch. I did think he was very poor yesterday. Yeah, and uh, Nick yourself, Lyndon Gooch. I'm very between a five and a six. I think again I'll, I'll take the result into account and give him a six. But me personally, I like. Linden coming off the bench. I think he offers more to the team when he does that. I agree with everybody. I think yesterday, he, he, you, you probably wouldn't have realised he was on the pitch, I think, from yesterday's game. And I think if I was Terry, if I mentioned the name Linden Gooch, you might be scratching your head to think, which, which, who was it? I don't think he had much of an impact in the game. Do you know Linden Gooch, Terry? Well, only that, um, I mean, I, you, I feel a little bit sorry for him. We've got the, the guy called Deji Oshilaja who's um, a centre-half by trade, but tends to play just about anywhere we tell him to. And uh, although he's never spectacular, he never really puts in an awful game. He's normally liable to one or two mistakes a game, which so he gets criticised for, but he's a very steady player, especially on that right side. And I think uh, Gooch just um, did, couldn't, couldn't handle it. And I think uh, Deji, I wouldn't say had him in his pocket, that's probably unfair, but certainly didn't get any joy down that, uh, that side with, with Deji there. Yeah. Um, moving on to the front two, obviously Aidan O'Brien came in. And again, I think I've, I gave him a five. Um, you know, he was involved in a lot, but he didn't do too much with the time with the ball when he had it. I think he had a good personally. I think he had a good chance to get a goal for himself in the first half, but ended up passing it to Graham. The pass was intercepted, and I think that's when the ball kind of bounced around the box a little bit, and that led to a couple of blocks from a Graham shot. But O'Brien, five out of ten for me, John. Yeah, again between a five and a six, he did some some bits were good, some bits. Not so great. I just wish he'd have got that ball to Graham first time. Yeah. Rory? I'm opting Marto a six, but I don't know if it was the angle from the stream, but it looked like it was easier to shoot than to pass. Yeah. I don't know, Nick, if you could see that, but from on the stream, it looked like it was easy for him to shoot. Uh, looking back, I think it probably was. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, decision-making in that situation, yeah. 
And Nick yourself, obviously, you're not well, in five up I, me. I, I actually like him. I think he's a bit he's a bit of an enigma in one sense you, you, because he hasn't got goals. And um, I gave him a seven. I just think he, he does a lot more than people are giving him credit for. I think he kept Charlton's defenders busy. I think there was one thing he did do was he made a nuisance of himself around the penalty area. Whilst, yeah, some of the decision-making, some of his passing, whatever, wasn't great. I do think what he does bring to that team is he can hold the ball up and he can hold defenders up and he can make a nuisance of himself around the penalty area. And I think he did that yesterday against Charlton. And I, so that, I, like, again, it's coming back to they kept the clean sheet. They could have won. Um, I'd give him a seven. Yeah. And the last of the starting 11, at least, was Danny Graham. Obviously, he's been mentioned quite a lot in this podcast so far. For me, I think I gave him a four out of ten, which I felt quite bad for because... Even in his first spell at the club, I think as a player, I liked him. I don't know why. I just liked him as a player. And I think I wasn't necessarily excited about him coming back to the club, but I wasn't pessimistic about it either. But yesterday, I think I gave him a four, like O'Brien. I think he was involved in a lot, but could have and should have single-handedly won the game push yesterday with the chances he had. Obviously, four or five chances, two big ones. In games like that, you know, I think you really need to take your chances, especially if you want to be up there at the end of the season. But John, Danny Graham for you? Uh, I went for six. I think he did okay. Brought, um, held the ball up fairly well, but he, he's got to score though. He's got to take one of those chances. Rory? I just got to go with six as well. Like said that he should have scored. There's nothing. Like there's nothing you can say about that. He should have scored. Nick, Danny Graham? Yeah, six again for me. I think he didn't, just highlighted there, I think he did enough hold-up play. Um, I think he, you know, he's got good awareness of where the ball is and, and space. It's the fact that he just couldn't finish um, yeah. knocks his mark down. Terry, obviously, Danny Graham is an experienced striker. He's, I think he's 34, 35 years old, around that. Um, you know, he saw a lot of the ball in the game. He missed a lot of chances, but as a Charlton fan, did you think he'd be capable of getting the goal? Do you think he'd trouble the defence from the start? As a Charlton fan, I'd give him a 10, probably, because uh, if it wasn't for him, we'd have uh, <laughs> won the game. <laughs> um, it's funny, we had, um, we had, uh, we had uh, our, uh, our esteemed owner, our new owner, join us on commentary yesterday, which was... Yes, which, I've seen that on Twitter, yeah. Which was bizarre uh, and a blast. And, um, yeah, I was a guitar he, with him. Uh, it was okay, and he knows his stuff, which is good. Um, and uh, when Danny Graham missed uh, the first couple, he was he was quite complimentary about the fact that he missed them, um, and hoped you'd keep doing them all day. Uh, funnily enough, he left after about uh, quarter now to a minute, which was probably our most controlled period of the game, and didn't see the rest. But um, for probably me, Danny Graham, look, he's a good player. I think he's a good he's a good central. Um, it's, it, I think he's a good centre forward. I'm I'm a bit old school in that you know um, if you're going to call somebody a striker, they've got to score goals. Yeah. And uh, but there's also you can have a centre forward that doesn't, but they can link up. And I think that might be your problem because I actually rate all of you, all of you, uh, your, your people you've got up top. I think Graham's a good player. I think O'Brien was busy enough and he kept, came deep, which is what you you need your your target man to do. Mm-hmm. I, I like Wake. I think he's a presence actually. I think oh. um, well he. Yeah, he, he was at Brand, he was at Bradford and scored like one in two, I think, for Bradford. Yeah. Think. So he yeah, had a lot of reputation yeah. for scoring goals, but they were mostly, I think, I guess, from memory, um, you know, the single bloke in the six-yard box heading home mm-hmm. a free kick or a, or a corner. Um, but for every lump, you need a you need a striker. So if you got to have a, strikers, in my experience, tend to be pairs, and so uh, you can have you can have good players, but if they if they haven't got anybody decent beside them, then they're going to struggle. And I think. Um, you talked about giving them a run of games. I think you need to give both a run of games. There's no, they need, yeah. to, they need to form a partnership. And we had it um, two seasons ago when we had um, Grant and um, and Taylor up top, um, and it took them a little while to get going. But once they got going, they were frightening. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when Grant left, it took us again a little while to to get anybody up top with Taylor, and we never really clicked it and didn't score nearly as many goals after. So you need somebody, you need a pairing. Uh, and I think they're both decent enough players, but whether or not they'll get you the goals individually is one thing. But you've got to give them a chance. You've got, uh, and whether you, <laughs> it sounds easy enough to give them a chance. Whether or not you have the luxury of giving them that chance, I don't know. Yeah. Um, quickly with the subs, obviously White came on and I think he gave way more fouls than he actually had shots. Um, <laughs> I still stand by the fact that I think he is absolutely useless. 
and Ryan keeps getting game time. It honestly baffles me. But I'm going to stick with my rating from last week and I'm going to give him a 1 out of 10. I just don't like him. Nick, obviously you you see him in person. I only see him on the stream. So, you know, I don't see as much of his movement off the ball and stuff like that. I'd, you, I'd, what do you think of him? Um, I think on his day, he's. He, I echo what Terry says, I think on his day, White, if he's fit and, and you know, up, up there for it, he, he will get goals. It's... It's not happening at the moment. I think yesterday was a good example of it not happening for him. I did think he fouled too much. He did sort of get frustrated by that. He was a bit, uh, when Hume pulled that ball back, I just think he just wasn't sharp enough. I think that's possibly down to the fact he, you know, not long since he'd come on. Um, I, I marked him a five. I mean, I just didn't think his contribution was great yeah. against Charlton, but I don't necessarily sort of rule him out as, you know, if you can just get his head in the right place and, and, and Terry said, if you if you play these players and you give them game time, you know they their, their track records suggest you know then then they're not you know not shirkers or slackers in front of goal, but at the moment they're not really being given the the working space to to prove it. Um, but yes, you know against Charlton it was a five. He what he was poor. I think the thing is with me for Charlie White is, I think a lot of people see him as a target man, but. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but did he not come out when he signed for us and said he's not a target man? Well, he's, he, Terry's right. He's, a, you know, he, he's someone who holds it up. He's a hold-up player. Um, you, you know, you, he, he should be using that strength, height, um, and that ability to to hold the ball up. When he does that, he does allow other players to thrive. I mean, my, my, you know, when he's when Maguire's in the side, Gooch, those players have thrived when White is holding the ball up um, yeah. and not fouling. Um, Greg also came on as a sub. Um, again, didn't do too much, but you know, I think I don't think he was on for long before Flanagan got sent off. And I think you know, from the stream at least, it looked like he'd kind of been slotted into the right midfield. Yeah, well, he had to yeah. go out to the right in the end because of the yeah. sending off. He had to go out wide, didn't he? Yeah. So personally, I still think he's our best striker. Um, you know, he's he's not scoring the goals at the minute, but I think he will. And the lack, of, the lack of time he's actually getting on the pitch will certainly do nothing to boost his confidence. But, you know, I'll, I'll give him a 6 out of 10. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. He was playing out of position. He came on. Did what he had to do. John, yourself? Yeah, probably 6, yeah. Did a, a job for the for the team in the end on the right wing. And, yeah, that was about it, really. Rory? Just a 5. He did what he needed to do when he came on. And Nick? Yeah, 6 for me. Fairly anonymous, but did what he had to do. And I'd don't think we actually made any more subs in that game. Which no, I was that was surprised it. Yeah. About. Um, but man of the match for me, I think I gave it to Grant Ledbetter. You know, I think he's probably been our best player over the last couple of games, really. You know, he's shown his experience. Obviously, right impressed again. I think Willis was up there. But John, your man of the match yesterday? Yeah, same as you, Grant Ledbetter. I thought he was class above. Rory? Oh, no. Oh, no. And Nick, yourself, man, the match yesterday? Uh, Grant Ledbetter. Terry, I'll give you one. Yeah, I'd probably go with the same. I mean, it was a toss-up. I, I wrote two names down uh, when I knew I was coming on, and that was Josh Cohen and, uh, and Grant Ledbetter. So uh, I'd probably, every team needs a Ledbetter, every single one. And, uh, yeah. and he performed it admirably yesterday. Um, we do play Carlisle on Tuesday, but I'm not convinced anyone is too fussed about that. So our next league game is against Swindon Town in just under two weeks. Of course, the Blackpool game on Saturday has been postponed. Um, score predictions for that one. I think I'll start off and I'm going to say 3-0 Sunderland. I've got some, get some goals for our strikers and, you know, really kick on from there. John, score predictions? Uh, I'll go 2-0. Not too greedy. Sunderland, of course. Yeah, obviously, yeah, sorry. Ball <laughs> <laughs> yourself? Uh, I'd say 1-0 Sunderland. Ambitious. And Nick? <laughs> Uh, the club I used to cover, I've still got friends there. Um, I, that, you know, they, they had an okay start to the season. Saw them in pre-season. I thought they looked okay. I, I think Sunderland. Well, they will make changes, um, but I still think they'll be too strong. I think I'll go with a three-one. I'm glad. I'm glad. Rory, you were the least ambitious there. <laughs> Terry, obviously, Charlton face. <laughs> well, we'll see. After see. I think Paul's been on. I think he's been on the podcast twice. And I think he's got the score. Every time, John, I think you'll know that. Did he? He got them right, didn't he? Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He got them spot on. Um, Terry, Charlton face Wigan next, I believe. I don't think you play next weekend either. 
Um, no, we don't. We, it was. It should have should have been Ipswich, but it's been called off. Your score predictions flat one. Uh, people, anybody who knows me will, will say that I hate doing this. And, and normally, when <laughs> if it's on a Charlton podcast, I would normally uh, plead the fifth and go and make a cup of tea at this point because <laughs> I don't, don't tend to do score predictions. Um, what what I will say, um, it's going to be very difficult because to predict because we're going to have had a half decent start actually. It, it's the it's the clash of the crisis clubs um, or, or certain <laughs> ones. Um, and if our owner. Um, steps up the plate and, and there's no reason why he, he shouldn't because he has so far then I expect us to do a number of bit, quite a bit of business in the next um, next few few days and certainly weeks so the team that played you and the team that's played the first three games before that um, may have no bearing to the team that actually turns out against Wigan so um, I mean I'm hopeful that uh, if we if we make the sign as we do of course they've still got a bet in that uh, we might sneak it by the odd goal a lot of confidence Evan um, that is all we have time for tonight. Um, I think we have covered a fair bit once again. Terry, you did absolutely save me this weekend, as I wasn't actually having, <laughs> much, I wasn't having any luck finding a Charlton oh. fan to come on. You know, I, I don't should put know. it on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> you all, every Charlton fan seems to work on a Sunday, so I'm glad you weren't. Don't you believe a word of that? They, they all know where the, where the drinks cabinet is. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming on, Terry. Pleasure, my friend. John, Rory, likewise. Cheers, mate. And finally, Cheers. Nick, you are a very busy body, so appreciate you joining us as well. Thank you. Apologies for all the technical issues. <laughs> it's all right. Today. Nick, so I was good to see you. Can I just say, Nick, good to see you again. And, uh, yeah, I you. That, um, you, you, may not, uh, you may not believe this, but um, I'm hoping that to get to uh, to get to the Stadium of Light, because I haven't been yet. Oh, well, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I hope so. It was, it was the first game of last season I was on holiday. And, of course, the <laughs> last, time, last time I saw Charlton Sunderland play was at Roker Park. So... Um, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, great. Well, fingers crossed, Terry. See you there. Cheers. We will be back again next weekend with something slightly different. As obviously I've just said, Sunderland's game against Blackpool has been postponed due to internationals. Um, I'm just trying to think who are the internationals that are missing. I think Conor McLaughlin will be missing, Jamali missing. And Flanagan. And Flanagan, yeah. So that'll be, well, three of our defenders, isn't it? Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Give this a like, give it a share and subscribe to our channel on whatever platform you use to listen to it on. But until next time, we will see you later.